If the last few years have taught us anything, it's that stress and anxiety can cause a lot of harm, both mentally and physically. Stress contributes to poor sleep, fatigue, and mental fogginess. So how do we prevent or reverse this? Well, Organifi Harmony was created to support women specifically. Harmony combines 12 superfood ingredients into a delicious cacao and chocolate-flavored superfood blend that not only helps PMS symptoms like bloating, fatigue, and mood swings, but also promotes better balanced hormones every day for improved women's health. You compare Harmony with Organifi Green Juice in the morning, which helps aid in healthier responses to stress, and this creates the perfect one-two punch against PMS. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high-quality ingredients and less than three grams of sugar. Try Organifi Harmony to help you move from a depleted to nourished state and get back to the state of harmony you desire. You can experience Organifi's high-quality superfoods for less than $3 a day. Go to www.organifi.com slash you and use code Best of you for 20% off your order. That's O R G A N I F I dot com slash best of you and use code best of you for 20% off any item. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Allison, and I'm so glad you're here to discover what brings out the best of you. This podcast is all about breaking free from painful patterns mending the past and discovering our true selves in God. I can't wait to get started as we learn together how to become the best version of who we are with God's help. Hey everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Best of You podcast. I am grinning from ear to ear and thrilled today because I have my friend and my co-author of this book, we've been talking about Boundaries for Your Soul, with me on the podcast today, Kimberly Miller. Kim is a marriage and family therapist who lives in Southern California with her sweet girl and her husband, Ken. She is an author. She's a speaker. She is a retreat leader, the head of a wonderful ministry called Leading Wholeheartedly. And she is my co-author. We wrote this book, Boundaries for Your Soul, together. It took us really years in the making. It came out of some of the very first conversations we had when we very first met and became friends. Kim introduced me in those very first conversations to this internal family systems model of therapy. I'd almost finished my doctoral work, and I had not yet been introduced to it. And when Kim and I met, we were talking about our work. We were talking about our love for therapy and our love for faith. And she started telling me about this model. And I was just hooked instantly. We began to lead retreats, teaching other women about this model, about how to integrate this IFS model with Christian faith and practice. And then out of that grew this book, Boundaries for Your Soul. So I am thrilled to have Kim here today. Thank you so much for being here, Kim. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. It's always wonderful to be with you in any setting. Oh, it's bringing up a lot of different parts of me because so much of our time for those few years leading up to when Boundaries for Your Soul came out were you and I just talking back and forth about these different concepts, these different ideas, trying to flesh them out both in our own lives, in our practice, and for the work of this book. So I would love to hear today as we get started how you learned about IFS and how it's been helpful to you in both your own life and in your practice. Sure. Again, thank you so much for having me and thanks just for being such a wonderful friend and co-author and just dialogue partner over the years. I was living in Boston at the time and I had been a Christian since I was young and I had been serving God. I had committed my life to full-time Christian service at an Urbana conference when I was in college, and I was working for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And yet at the same time, I was hitting a wall emotionally and spiritually, just stuck in certain places. And this is, I think, a normal stage of development that people go through. There's that initial enthusiasm and passion when you meet Jesus, and then there's a stage of discipleship and productive service. And then oftentimes people just hit a phase where they just want to go deeper. And there's a frustration that there's not the abundant life and the joy that scriptures talk about. And so that was happening to me where I was just thinking regularly, like, why am I not living abundantly the way that Jesus said that I will, you know, in John 10, 10. 
And so I started seeking help in different places and counselors and spiritual directors, going to prayer a lot at church. And I was always going up for prayer at the end of the services. You know, right? And by God's grace and providence, I was introduced through a friend to a social worker who was also the wife of an Episcopalian priest. And I told her my normal spiel about how I was following Jesus and I wanted to live the abundant life, but I had these areas in my life where I felt stuck. And I stopped and I looked at her just expecting her just to say something like, do you want to talk about it? Or you know, something that I had heard before that wasn't really ultimately that helpful to me. And she responded and said, I can help you. And now I know that what she was doing was she was being a hope merchant and she had this confidence because she had seen transformation through this model of therapy and I was intrigued. And so we started meeting regularly. Allie, I was so eager for healing that we met for two hours at first every week. <laughs> so we met for two hours a week and boy, she helped me so much. And it was this amazing experience for me of realizing for the first time that I had the ability to unblend from the parts of me that were experiencing pain and to care for those parts from my spirit-led self. You and I began to call it spirit-led self. In IFS, it's called the self. And this was revolutionary for me. It was very empowering. And I felt like I had agency over my emotions. What was happening was internal differentiation. I was being able to detach from the parts of me that were hurting and to care for them, like you care for a child. And it just changed my life. And then what we started doing was praying and inviting Jesus to be present with us in the sessions. And Jesus was ministering to these parts of me. And I had never experienced that before. You know, I had never like been able to access his power in the place where I needed him the most. And I was able to do that in these sessions and it changed my life really. And then I started feeling like, I want to share this with the people that I'm working with, the students that I meet with through university that have deep pain in their lives. And that's how I got started. That's amazing. I've heard you tell that story before and I just love the power of it and you continue to live it. I've gotten to bear witness to you as a friend, you know, in your marriage, as a mom, not to mention all these professional hats that you wear, which are so amazing where you continue to bring this work into all those different relationships. And it's really beautiful. The other way that it really helped me was it gave me a framework for understanding other people and for making sense of what seemed to me like apparent contradictions in other people in my life. And that brought me so much peace of mind because I could finally have a framework for these different people in my life that I cared so much about and could understand why they behaved in different ways in different contexts and said different things at different times. And instead of feeling like I didn't know who anybody was, I started realizing, oh, this person has these different parts and that's so good to know. And let me get to know the parts of them and befriend those parts. And it just like really helped deepen my relationships and helped me to like trust in the relationships in a much deeper way instead of being afraid of people. So true, right? Instead of being confused by people, it begins to explain the complexity that we encounter in people that sometimes they don't even know they have. And so it helps us begin to go, okay, this is what's going on there. And it helps us not feel so confused. And I've heard that when one of the goals of therapy is clarity. And when we don't have clarity, we're stuck and we're really, like you said, confused and it's really hard to know how to move forward. But when there's clarity and understanding, as we know, Dallas Willard said, understanding is the basis of care. And when you understand something, then you know how to care for that thing, or in this case, a person, you know how to care for them well and befriend the part of them that may be relating to you in a way that is different from their spirit-led self. Yeah. Yeah. Or have patience with a part of that that is frustrating. Yeah, it really helps with patience and also like perspective. Sometimes I even think about if we think about this word toxicity, even when we bump up into a toxic part of someone where we have to set some boundaries with that toxicity, it can help us both have the healthy boundaries that we need and have some of the healthy distance. I get that there are other parts of that person, but I can't access those other parts of that person. Therefore, I have to make these decisions to keep myself safe. Yeah. Preach. <laughs> 
Okay. So I want to, I'm curious if this has been your experience, Kim, because over time this has become, I believe my experience. And so I'll say it this way. And I'm curious what you think about this. I think most of us run into some form of an inner critic as one of the first parts we actually bump into. We may not be aware of it. We may not call it that. But in my work with other people and increasingly in, as I get to know the parts of my own soul, almost always, right when I begin to notice some emotion or some part of me that needs care, or if I'm doing this work with someone else, when you begin the process of differentiating, we talked a lot about this in these past few episodes, this process of focusing, getting some healthy distance from this part of us, from this painful emotion, and you get to that question of how do I feel toward it? How do I feel toward it? I don't like it. There's almost always this shaming or inner critic, this critical feeling about this way that we feel. And we didn't do a whole chapter in Boundaries for Your Soul on the inner critic, but it's everywhere throughout the book because in that step of as you begin to differentiate from a part and you want to befriend it, usually you're bumping up against that inner critic. And we talk about it in the chapter on shame when we get into the shaming inner critic. But I'm just curious if you have found that to be true. Do you think that inner critic is typically one of those first few parts we bump into both in your own life and in the work that you do with other people? Absolutely. Usually when I'm working with a client, the first part that they encounter is a part that's responding to something that's happened in their life. They're feeling angry about something that was said or grief about a loss, et cetera. And then when I invite them to take a U-turn and they focus on the part, and then I ask them how they feel toward it, just like you're saying, that's when it's almost always an inner critic. You know, there's almost always an inner critic there. It's very rare that a person says, oh, I just love this part of me. <laughs> it happened to be like really like soaked through with the Holy Spirit perhaps, but usually it's more like, you know, I just can't stand this part of me. I wish it would go away. It's so annoying. It's getting in the way of my being productive, et cetera. And so we notice the inner critic and then they have a polarization that we're working with. So there's this critic that's frustrated, but usually the part is willing to step behind a glass wall. That's my go-to strategy. I know that oftentimes in IFS, we ask parts to step back. Naturally, I don't want to do that. My inclination is not to ask parts to step back because I feel like they may resent not being welcomed. And you know, the whole philosophy of IFS is all parts are welcome. But I do find that critics don't get offended by being asked to watch behind a glass wall. So that's my usual strategy. And I've never had anyone resist that. So yes, I have very rarely not encountered an inner critic in myself and in others. And usually what I do is I ask the client or with myself, I ask the inner critic to step behind a glass wall and just watch. I'll just say, would you watch behind a glass wall for a minute and then help us to work with the original part that we discovered? So this is great. I love that. And I want for those listeners hearing you say all parts are welcome. I could hear some of that pushback of aren't there parts of us that we should almost condemn. So I love that you brought that up because I think this is so foundational to this work, especially for Christians. And we talk about this in the book. And actually, I got this idea from you. I got this concept from you, and it really resonated with me. The line, self-condemnation and self-acceptance, oh, the yeah. line. And pain. Yeah. yeah. I'd never heard it put that way before, but this idea of self-acceptance is actually the soil in which the Holy Spirit brings healing, not self-condemnation. However, I think some of us, not all of us, but some of us come to the table of this work thinking, aren't there parts of me I'm supposed to condemn because they're bad? And so I want to ask you a little bit about what that has meant for you, that movement from self-condemnation, because I think that's what the inner critic is doing. I think the inner critic, in the best case scenario, sometimes the inner critic is just a voice we've inherited from the past. It's just a bad habit. But sometimes it's a part of us that thinks it's helping by keeping us on the straight and narrow. Oh, they have very good intentions. They really think that they're helping for sure, whether it's the manager that's being critical of you because it wants you to get in line and not mess up, or whether it's an inner critic of the original part that you encounter, and it's thinking that that original part is messing things up for you and for your system. I think either way, I think all parts have very good intentions. They just have strategies that can be unhelpful, and so they need correction. Another thing, Allison, that I've been discovering lately is... I should say I'm coming to the belief that inner critics are very young and it hadn't occurred to me how young they are because you think, 
oh, they're so powerful and they have such strong emotions and such serious emotions, what seem like adult emotions. But if you realize that these are probably parts that developed very early on in your life, may have even started mimicking critical people in your life around you. And it's, I think, human nature. So I think we just come out of the shoot this way, you know, just critical. Think of it like a three-year-old or four-year-old. They really don't know what they're doing. You know, they really need guidance and they need to learn the way of compassion. And that's the job of your spirit-led self. We need to become emotionally mature by embracing these young critical parts and helping them to see that there's a better way. Yeah, that's so good, Kim. Getting high-quality food and household essentials delivered right to my doorstep, whether it's my favorite Dave's Killer Bread, incredible wine, or seventh-generation cleaning supplies has been a game-changer for me. I love that Thrive Market only allows trusted, top-quality ingredients while restricting thousands of harmful ingredients like artificial flavors, high-fructose corn syrup, and more. And with just a few clicks, I can filter out ingredients that I don't want, like gluten or high sugar content, making it so easy to find the items I need for my family. Best of all, when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash you for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash you. thrivemarket.com slash you. I've never felt anything so soft or luxurious as my Cozy Earth bamboo sheets. They transport me into what feels like a luxury experience every single night. Picture this. After a long summer day of exploring new horizons or conquering mountain trails, you retreat to the sanctuary of Cozy Earth's bedding. It's not just about comfort. It's about rejuvenation. Ensure your body gets the rest it craves no matter where your adventures take you. Say goodbye to restless nights and hello to revitalizing sleep, whether you're under the stars or amidst city lights. Adventure awaits this summer and Cozy Earth ensures you're equipped for every step of the journey. Their travel-friendly products packed in totes are the perfect companions for your adventures both near and far. And when it's time to relax during a long flight or a post-hike wind down, slip into Cozy Earth's temperature regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew to stay cool, comfortable, and ready for whatever your adventure brings you next. Whether you're exploring distant lands or enjoying a staycation right at home, Cozy Earth has your back. My listeners have been given an exclusive 35% off with code BEST OF YOU at CozyEarth.com. Prioritize your well-being without sacrificing adventure this summer. Let Cozy Earth be your trusted companion on the path to health, fitness, and unforgettable experiences. Yeah, and I love what you're saying about self-acceptance. And I think that is a foundation to a life of service. Self-condemnation is painful. It's like walking around with a broken leg. It's debilitating. And it really holds us back from living into the plan that God has for our lives. God has a plan for each person's life even for every day of each person's life, which is incredible, but the scriptures tell us that. And accomplishing God's plan for our lives takes concentration. It takes focus. It takes work. And it takes work that in some way is helping other people. And one of the lines that we came up with together in Boundaries for Your Soul that really has stayed with me and ministered to me a lot is, it's hard to help others when you're hurting inside. It's really hard to help others when you're hurting inside. And One of our main jobs on this earth is to help people. And so I am so passionate about figuring out how do I get to that point of being able to help other people so that I can glorify God with my life. And I can't do that if I'm walking around with a broken leg that's not been cared for or tended to. So that's why it's so critical to move from self-criticism to self-acceptance. And that's what this work is all about. I love what you're saying about the inner critic being young. I think that's really helpful because they don't feel young. They feel adult. They feel very stern. They feel very parental. They feel like authoritative. They're kind of scary. And you think about little kids who at times they can just say what they think and have really strong opinions and not really censor themselves or think about the way that they're saying that. It makes sense. It's helpful to differentiate from that part of us and just get that maybe it's onto something, but it doesn't have the best strategy for helping us find our best way forward. And I think all of this really gets into our experience of shame, because we know that shame 
is toxic. You and I spent so much time really going round and round. Is there ever a constructive role of shame? And we really landed on no. It's really toxic. Our friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson, he calls it evil's vector. He comes on that strongly about shame. And so I think this inner critic, it's not always connected to shame, but often I think it's very much connected to where we start to experience shame about ourselves, which is never constructive. So just circling back to that, how do we manage this shaming inner critic? I know you've talked about we we ask it to step back or we ask it to go behind a glass wall, but what about when there's really a lot of shame there and there's a lot of vitriol? I know for me, when I experience shame, sometimes it takes a slightly different sort of intervention. How about you? What do you think about it when we're talking about it in terms of shame? Yes, such a critical topic. And I have experienced a lot of feelings of shame throughout my life. And so it's something that I've worked on a lot. In fact, it goes back for me to, I started naming it and working on it back when I was in grad school. And so I've really worked on this issue, Allie. And like I said, it feels like a broken leg. Like when you feel shame every day, it feels like you're walking around with this broken leg that hasn't been treated and it really needs care. You really need to tend to this feeling because first of all, it hurts, but it's hard to fulfill your God-given purpose when you're debilitated by shame. I agree that it's never good. I believe that it comes from our fallen nature and the enemy. Satan is, his name is the accuser. He's called the accuser of our brethren, our brothers and sisters in Revelations 12. And he wants us to feel shame, but that's not the voice of Jesus. And so how do we get the parts of us to accept the voice of Jesus and to speak truth? And one of the strategies that I found to be super helpful, Allie, and it's really just like a go-to technique that works for me really well. And it works for my clients. And it seems to work in groups also when I'm doing like guided exercises is to imagine a table. And this is, I believe it was a woman named Mitchie Rose, IFS therapist who developed this technique, but I just go to it every time because first of all, I've seen it work over and over again. Second of all, it's biblical. There are so many wonderful, beautiful scriptures about sitting at the table. Like God wants to invite us to his table. And that's just an analogy in scripture that I believe God wants us to dwell on and to meditate on it. So in this context, what I like to do is imagine the part of you that's feeling criticized. Imagine your criticized child and imagine the inner critic sitting there at a table with the Lord, if they're willing to be with him. You always want to get permission from parts, right? If they're willing and check in with them first, and if they don't have any objection, see if they're willing to acknowledge his presence or if he's not there to invite his presence. And I always love to do real-time exercises, Allie. So if you don't mind, I'll just go ahead and ask your listeners wherever they are, just take a breath. And if you would like to close your eyes and just picture a table in front of you and then picture your criticized child sitting there across the table from you, picture the inner critic that doesn't like the criticized child and that's criticizing the child (laughs) sitting there and let them acknowledge each other so that they develop a relationship a more intentional relationship and realize that they're on the same team and they both have good intentions. And then if they're willing to recognize or invite the presence of Jesus, whatever name they'd like to use for the sacred presence to be there as well. And just take in his compassion because every time we connect with the Lord He speaks love. He speaks grace. He welcomes every part of us. He loves us. And this is where there is healing. This is where there is relief from the suffering of shame. Yeah, what you're saying reminds me so much of what we talked about, I believe, in chapter five about David's prayer about setting a table. Yeah, you have prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And you can apply that verse to your internal parts that sometimes feel like enemies. Including your inner critic, right? And this is this pretty radical work of even befriending this enemy within, which is this part of you that has taken on this really toxic strategy of shaming you. I love also the quote, I talked about this in a prior episode that we put in chapter seven from Howard Thurman that says it it gentles the wildness. Such a powerful quote gentles the wildness out of that part. He was Martin Luther King Jr.'s mentor, Howard Thurman. And that that is such a powerful quote. He gentles the wildness out of a personality at war with itself. 
Yes. yes. And I want to be clear, Allie, because it's so important to say we are not suggesting the welcoming of our enemy at the table, not the enemy. Jesus is very clear that we reject Satan yeah. and evil forces. And we have to distinguish between rejecting Satan and the evil forces and welcoming the part of you that God made, which is good, because God said mm-hmm. that what he had made is good. Welcoming the part of you that may have picked up some ways of thinking and feeling from the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's the source mm-hmm. of the evil. And disciple that part of you in the way of Jesus, mm-hmm. in the way of the heart, in the way of compassion. It's so good. I love the image of the table, and I love the image of inviting these different parts and imagining them sitting at the table together. And again, this is that work of internal reconciliation, which is bringing these parts not just into connection with you and with God, but also with each other, where they learn to work together in healthier ways. So the shaming inner critic loses that strategy. It releases that burden of shame, and maybe it starts to become a little bit more of an encourager, a little bit more of a cautionary check or whatever the thing is in a healthy way to say, hey, I'm not sure about that, where the other parts start to trust, okay, that part's not out to get me. But it is there to help us stay aligned, stay true to who we are, to who God is. So that work of creating the healthy boundary lines. Yeah. And I wanted to tell you something, Ellie, because I love our friendship. We can share with each other how God is healing us over time. And our friendship is the context of the development of this work. And I had written about a part that I had told you about that I encountered early on in my work with therapists, which was my abandoned baby part that I felt that's the part that we identified when we started to work with my feelings about my parents' divorce. And over time, that abandoned baby part became more healed and accepted by Jesus. And just recently, Ali, it started to feel like it was changing its name and it wanted to be called my comforted child, my celebrated child even. Isn't that amazing? I love that. It has spent so much time with Jesus and it has a new name now. I would say I used to have an abandoned baby part, but it's not abandoned anymore. Like it's loved by Jesus and it's not only comforted, but it's celebrated. And what's so cool is then the inner critic can see that transformation and then no longer needs to have such a stern strategy of criticizing it anymore. It's like, oh, I like that part, actually. (laughs) That's great that you're celebrated. It's not a problem anymore, so I don't need to be critical anymore. Oh, that's great. And the inner critic can just become, like you're saying, an encourager, an advisor. Yeah, it has a role. It's just a much more helpful role. That's beautiful, Kim. I love hearing that because we did talk a lot about these parts of our own selves as we were writing that book. And I love that part of you has found so much freedom and peace and joy in this work. Yeah. Oftentimes when parts meet Jesus, they want to sit on his lap, which makes me think they're really young. They're like little children and they want to put their heads on his shoulder. I'm amazed at when I'm working with clients. That's so often just what naturally happens is these parts want to put their heads on his shoulder and just let him hold them because he's just so good. He's so steady and calm and he brings comfort to us and he loves us. So that's really the place to hang out. (laughs) It's so true that we tend to hear things like we need As humans, we need safety, we need security, we need attachment, we need these foundational building blocks that creates health in a soul. And I think for the listeners that aren't as familiar with the parts language, what we're doing is applying those same concepts to a very specific part because we're multifaceted, as we've been talking about. And so when a very specific part of us experiences that secure attachment, that maybe they that part didn't get from a caregiver, from a parent, from a mom or a dad, or maybe they had it and lost it, whatever, that part starts to experience that sense of safety, of comfort, of attachment that we all need as babies with you there, you know, you're there, and with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Those parts of us start to heal, and that's where we get into this unburdening. They don't carry that heavy burden anymore of this part of our story where, yes, this hard thing happened to me, and the pain of it has now been relieved. The burden has been lightened. Yeah, I mean, because you knew me back then, and I wasn't walking around, like, moping all the time. I was productive. I was teaching. I was living a very productive life, but yet I was doing it with this great pain in my heart, which was 
a part of me that was carrying the burden. And so once I realized, oh, I can actually unblend from that part, like that part of me doesn't have to sit on the seat of consciousness of my soul all the time. I can get healthy, proper distance from the part. I love how we came up with this term proper. I don't know that we invented it, but we love talking about proper distance from parts, right? Like, okay, I don't want it to be rejected. I don't want to get rid of the abandoned baby part, but I don't want it to overwhelm me. I want to be in a healthy relationship with it and have good boundaries with it. And like you're saying, have secure attachment with a part. So we're talking about secure attachment between yourself and the part and between the part and the Lord and between the parts among themselves. So there's a lot of attaching going on. (laughs) It's truly a family. And that's the other thing I think is important to highlight, Kim. What I love about your circling back to that is it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And I love what you're saying. You've had a really full life. It's not that this part immobilized you, but through tending that internal family, through tending that garden inside your soul, this part of you, not alienating it, also not letting it take you over, just gently over time, really tending to that part of you, you see the fruit of that over time, where there is this real peace there now. It sort of snuck up on me, this healing experience I had recently of realizing that this part was celebrated and not abandoned. How long has it been? 20 years since I had that original therapy session. And this just happened like a few weeks ago where I reconnected with that part because I was doing a guided exercise in a group and I realized, oh my goodness, it doesn't want to be called abandoned baby. (laughs) That's not me anymore. I'm celebrated. Jesus loves me. And it took a long time, but if you stick with it, I mean, it's not that I hadn't experienced relief before. Obviously I had experienced relief or else I wouldn't have continued on the journey. But to completely change your name, that doesn't happen every day. Exactly. I mean, it had gotten to a point where it just did not identify with being abandoned anymore. It was like, no, that's really not who I am. This part wanted me to know, like, I want a new name. I'm celebrated. And so I like how we we talk about it's like a slow way to get somewhere faster. I was just thinking that exact same, which that was a line in the book you came up with. We wrote all of those sentences so closely together that it's hard to tell sometimes. Yes, that would have happened without you because you came up with the idea of the book. I'll never forget. We were driving in the car in Washington State. You said, we should write a book. I know. <laughs> it changed my life. So none of it would have happened without you. But that is that slower way. is exactly what I was thinking. That's a slower way to get to where you want to be faster. It's really interesting. Right. Because realistically, I never would have gotten there if I hadn't done this slow work of attending to the needs of this part. And I could have gone in a lot of different directions and never experienced the healing for this part that I was looking for. So I did get there. And I think it was faster than, than it could have been. And it also could have never happened. And in a way that allowed you to continue to live a productive life where there was enough relief. Yeah, there was enough relief. And also I was able to put that part in a room in my soul. This is another really helpful technique. Someone just asked me the other day, what if you're experiencing symptoms of PTSD? And I said, one helpful technique is to imagine the part in a room because then it's contained within a specific area of your soul and it's not overwhelming you. And it can be a a wonderful little room that it loves with Jesus there and has windows, everything that you can do to help contain the part and anything that assists with internal differentiation, not being enmeshed with it, you know, observing like there's other healing therapy models that have to do with differentiation like EMDR, although I'm not certified in EMDR. My understanding is that clients are often encouraged to sit in a bus and look out a window and imagine the circumstance that traumatized them happening outside the window. And that's a technique that helps you get space from that experience. So what we're really after is that differentiation internally, that healthy detachment that gives us the chance to love the part of us that is hurting. Yeah, it's still connected to, but not taken over. It it reminds me of DBT where it's two things can be true. I've experienced this painful thing and I have a full life. That's how we realized that this was a boundaries concept. When we realized that the problem that we experience is being blended with or overtaken by or enmeshed with a part, because I was enmeshed with that part of me that was hurting and that was causing me to feel symptoms of depression. But when I unblended from the part, whatever word you want to use, detached, I don't really like detached as much as it makes it feel like it's too far away (laughs) because I still want to have that connection, right? But I was able to get space from the part. I didn't understand that 
language initially, I was like, what does that mean, get space from it? So I differentiate. That's the Mm -hmm. word that really speaks to me. It's one of my very favorite words. Mm -hmm. I differentiated from the part, and then I was able to connect with it from that loving place within me. Yes. What we talk about in the very last chapter of the book is how we then take all this work we've done to unblend from and create these healthy relationships with these parts of us. Then we take that into a relationship with another human who has their whole (laughs) internal family, that they've got a parent, these different parts of them, and those different parts of them are in relationship with the different parts of us. And I just, I love that last chapter, which is really, honestly, I always say this, you know, most people come to us, and I'm sure this is your experience, most people come to us wanting to solve the relationship problems in their lives, first and foremost. And that's where we get at this idea of a U-turn, because in order to solve the relationship problems in your life, you first have to learn how to reestablish a healthy relationship with the different parts of your own soul so you can lead yourself. I love that story that you talk about how you began to bring this work into your relationship with your husband. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Kim? What has that been like for you to bring this work into your relationships, especially the one with your husband? I'll start by saying that when I've first met Ken, I was already very much into using the soul care method and he did not warm up to it at first. I think like a lot of people that first hear about the idea of having internal parts, he was skeptical and suspicious. And then one day, thanks be to Pete Doctor, we got to go see the movie Inside Out in the theaters and we laughed all the way through that movie. And we walked out of the theater and he looked at me and he said, okay, now I get it. It was so helpful and that really changed our lives. And we started talking about the different parts of us and he started talking about his criticized child, you know, and and then we realized that what was happening sometimes when there was tension between us is we had like sparring protectors and we realized that what we both needed to do was take a U-turn. So he is so great at taking a U-turn and he's always the first to do it. He really models it so well in our relationship. And so if our protector parts start battling one another, he'll just say, okay, let me take a (laughs) U-turn. And then we'll start to talk about the parts of us that are activated and name them. And then that calms us down. And I think one of the things that recognizing parts does is it helps us to regulate our emotions and put things in perspective and get proper distance from the parts that are overwhelming us. And then we're able to speak on behalf of them. And this is really a process of growing in emotional maturity. Little children don't know how to do this. They don't know how to say, there's a part of me that's really angry right now. I love you, but there's a part of me that's angry right now. Can we talk about it? A three-year-old can't do that, I promise. And, and a lot of adults. Yes, because we didn't learn how to do that as kids. We don't know how to do that as adults, right? It's a light skill that one has to learn. Yeah. It really is. We know how to say, you know, I'd rather not go there for dinner. Like that's not so hard. But when it comes to a painful emotion, some people can't even say that. They can't even express their preferences. But a lot of people know how to say, I'd rather not be in that environment, or I was bothered when such and such said something. But how much more difficult is it to speak on behalf of a part of you that's really feeling hurt, that's really feeling tender? And this is an important life skill to develop if you're going to have an intimate relationship, because issues are going to arise that you have to talk through. It's so true. And so tell us, I've touched on it very briefly, but tell us the difference between, or give us an example of the difference between speaking from a part versus speaking for. And this could be with anybody, with a partner, with a friend. This to me is one of the most profound things about this work because it just takes everything down a notch so that you can have a very calm conversation with somebody. I'll use the example that I write about in the book about my husband, Ken, and I having to deal with the mail. When we first got married, the mail would mount up and neither of us would go through it. And it would just really bother me (laughs) because we get so much mail, you know, and I would get overwhelmed by it. And I would just find myself being so reactive and anxious and angry about it. And it was my birthday. And he said, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, I want you to go through the mail with me. (laughs) (laughs) And he had a part that got activated. He felt criticized, but we talked it through and we ended up having a lovely dinner and he gave me a sweet present. And then we also went through the mail together. But anyway, (laughs) I guess the example of speaking from a part would be to say, I'm so frustrated that there's mail on the desk all the time. A way of speaking on behalf of a part would be to say, first of all, honey, are you available 
for me mm-hmm. to share something that I'm feeling, ask for an appointment. And then when the other person is available to say, I really love you. I love being married to you. I appreciate all that you do every day. So express appreciation and reaffirm your commitment. And then to say, would you be open to hearing about a part of me that's activated right now? And then to say, I have a lot of appreciation for you. And there's a part of me that's feeling anxious that the mail isn't getting opened on a regular basis. So that's an example. And it takes a lot more time. But again, it's a slower way to get where you want to go faster because it'll end up getting you the results a lot quicker. And then there's not as much tension or no tension in the environment anymore. And I'm not saying, I don't claim to be perfect at this, but we're aiming for progress, not perfection. Yes. (laughs) And it's a lifetime process. I think it takes a lifetime to to develop this skill. And even just being able to internally realize that you're activated is a very good first step. I think curiosity is a great starting point. I used to think curiosity and compassion were the best starting points, but compassion is actually asking a lot of a person. (laughs) And I think it's very helpful just to say, let's just begin with becoming curious about this feeling of reactivity of what's that about? And he's focusing on reading the paper instead of being with me. And that must mean that I'm not important to him. There's a lot under there and I need to really pause and take a look at why I'm feeling so reactive about it and then move in the direction of speaking on behalf of. Yeah, it's so interesting to bring this full circle to that inner critic because I think when we haven't done the work inside of ourselves or when we're on the front end of it, that inner critic comes in We see the mail, we're annoyed, and then we're either mad at ourselves, and then that inner critic turns also on the other person who's not taking this problem magically away that they may not even know. Maybe it's not bothering them. They don't care. So all of a sudden, that inner critic is now mad at us. They're mad at this other person, and then we can speak from it, which is, what's wrong with you? You don't care about me. Why don't you help me out? I don't even know what just happened. I'm just reading the paper. Like, I'm And so all that work that has to happen internally to, first of all, validate, wait a minute, this is causing me stress. This is causing me anxiety for numerous reasons that go beyond just the male. And and this is the thing in marriage. It usually is these little things initially. (laughs) Yeah, that start to pile up. But the more you begin to get curious, I love that you went there, get curious about, okay, what is going on? Why is that so activating to me? Not from a shaming place but from a validating place, then that allows you to go into that conversation with the other person without criticism, which is never helpful to relationships, we know, and to go into it with curiosity. Naming, again, naming is so important without shame, without criticism. This is what's happening inside of me. And then together, can we figure out how to solve this problem? It's just so much healthier, but it does start from the inside out. This work of how we bring it to that other person is really critical to that conversation going well. That's right. And just and owning what is going on inside of you and sharing about that at a time when they're available. I can't stress that enough. Being aware that the person you're in a relationship with, whether it's a friend or coworker or spouse, they've got their whole life going on themselves. (laughs) They're not necessarily where you are in your mind. And it's really important to ask for an appointment to talk. Because these are really important things to talk about and you want to do it at a time when they're available. And then also little tip that I've learned is never bring anything like this up after 6 p.m. at night because people are just spent by then. And Mm -hmm. so do it at a time when you're fresh and you've got space and it may be that you have to put it in the calendar, but it's important. It's as important as whatever else is in your calendar. Yeah. Make space for it and then take a U-turn, stay on your side of the tennis court, own what you're experiencing and use the opportunity as a trailhead to walk down a path of covering what's going on with your inner world and find the curiosity within you, extend that curiosity to the part of you that's feeling activated. And then another phrase that's really helpful is to think of the context as a torment. Like the male for me can be a tormentor because it can be an opportunity for me to learn about myself because of the reactivity that it causes in me. Yeah. It sounds like a benign example, but for some reason, you know, I think it's also because I'm an Enneagram one and I really like for my environment to be clean and orderly and just seeing all the paper just causes like clutter in my psyche, but I've really gotten good at unsubscribing <laughs> and discontinuing <laughs> things and just doing a lot electronically and just as much as I can. I make it a daily practice to unsubscribe and discontinue. Oh, that's cool. Good for you. Yeah, yeah just one thing a day. Yeah, really helps a lot. 
Anyway, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you use this parts work as part of your ongoing spiritual practice? Because I talk a lot about how you can do it in the context of therapy. And I think it's important to do it in the context of therapy, especially when you have a lot of trauma, when you have a lot of deep pain that you've never unpacked, that you've never looked at. I think it's important not to do it alone. It's important to do it with someone. And I also think this work is something we can incorporate into our daily practice as we get to know the contents of our soul. So how do you use it in your own sort of daily spiritual practices? I had an IFS therapist for a long time. And now I feel like I've so internalized the process. And I really learned over the years, what it was that I was really wanting to get to in therapy, which was the encounter of the part with Jesus. And now I really do that just on my own on a daily basis in prayer. And it helps me to journal. Journaling facilitates that divine encounter. I do what you might call solo IFS. So I usually write out a thought that I'm having, such as, you know, I'm feeling anxious about speaking tomorrow or something like that. And then just write whatever other parts are speaking or write what they're feeling. And then really quickly after that, within a few lines, I start to sense the Holy Spirit speaking and I start to sense my spirit-led self comforting the parts and responding in truth and love to the parts and the parts relax. I also do this through just imaginative prayer. I'll just close my eyes and picture a table that really works for me. Like I said, just picture the part of me that's anxious or sad or hurt sitting with Jesus and just listening for his voice. I also love to do it in guided exercises with groups. So actually you helped me start like together, you and I started a group. It came out of, again, came out of our conversation, a group that meets on a regular basis. And we have a facilitator that leads us in a guided exercise. So I do that on a regular basis. And that gives me a chance to be led in experience of seeing parts connect with Jesus. And there's Insight Timer. There's a lot of good recordings on Insight Timer. I think Anne-Marie Bowen. She does. has posted some. She's been encouraging me to do it too. I'll link to that in the episode for folks who want to see what these guided exercises are. They're really helpful. Yes. She is a Christian IFS therapist and just posted some Christ-centered IFS exercises to help you connect parts to Jesus. There's one that I did that's on my website. So I encourage your listeners to go there and find it. But Yeah, journaling, solo IFS, like mapping out parts, drawing a picture of the different parts. What I should say is I map out what the parts are saying on a piece of paper. So I put the voices or the thoughts of managers in one corner of the page, the voices and thoughts and feelings of firefighters in another corner, and then the exiles at the bottom, and then the spirit-led self in the middle. And then the voice of God will usually speak to me somehow. And I'll write that down in the middle with the spirit-led self too. So that's a really common spiritual practice that I undergo. (laughs) Yeah. It's super helpful. I do that too. I write out, I kind of journal out the different voices in my head. And like you said, with practice, it it comes more quickly, that ability to breathe into the reframe, the Holy Spirit-led reframe. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that integration of psychology and spirituality. That's beautiful. The Holy Spirit led reframe. I love to pray, Lord, help me to differentiate from this part. Lord, please let this part of me know that you love me and you care for this part of me. And he responds. He says, seek my face while I'm near. And I'm working on this book I've told you about called Inviting God. And I just have been going through scripture, just looking at all the different places that God wants us to invite us into our lives. And it's it's become really clear to me that God wants us to invite him in and he wants to minister to us and he's right there. He's right there for us, but mm-hmm. we need to bring the parts of us that are hurting into his presence so that he can minister to them. It's like a doctor can't operate on a person who's not staying on the operating table and we need to present the hurting parts of us to him and then he heals us. Yeah, I love that. It's so beautiful. It reminds me of the passage that we talk about, I think in chapter four, about how Jesus goes after the lost sheep and he leaves the 99 to go after the one. And it applies to the parts of our own soul that even if, you know, we're doing all right, but there's one part of us that's hurting, God cares about that part of us too. And this is the process of our lives. This is the work. This is the work of becoming more spiritually and emotionally whole. In my experience, at Sherman's life is never boring. There's always a way to tend the garden, tend the soil of our souls. It takes courage, Allison, because it's easier to just let yourself be distracted all the time. And it's easier to avoid these feelings. But I just encourage everyone to really lean in to this process because I think God wants us to be free. 
He doesn't want us to live enslaved to firefighter parts that have a grip on us or manager parts that just won't relent or won't relax or XL parts that are just constantly living under the weight of heavy burdens. He doesn't want us to live like that. He wants us to live freely and lightly. And he invites us to come to him when we're burdened and promises that we'll live freely and lightly when we do that. I love that. Tell us about any projects you're working on, how people can find you. Yeah, as I mentioned, I'm working on this book that I'm calling Inviting God into the Broken Places. And it's really an elaboration of step three of taking a U-turn, just really going deeper into that experience of encountering Jesus, where we need to meet with him. And then I'm also working on a mental health Bible. There's different types of Bibles. I'm talking about the Word of God, but there's different publications. I'm not talking about there's like a nutrition Bible. I'm not talking about just something like that. I'm talking about like the Word of God, but published in a way that's that highlights the ways in which the Bible facilitates mental health. And I'm working with a publishing company to come up with 10 articles on 10 topics. So it'll be a hundred articles of ancillary materials to go along with scripture passages, as well an index at the beginning of the 10 topics so people know where to find those passages on whatever topic that they're struggling with. So that is the project that I'm working on right now. And then I'm also preparing to lead a retreat here in California in May. So I have those things going on and I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, but really the website is the main place to, to find me and to connect if you want to reach out. Which is KimberlyJuneMiller.com. We'll link to that. Exactly. Just my name. Yeah. That's awesome, Kim. That Bible sounds amazing. I can't wait for that. We will be so excited to hear more about that. I have a couple of questions I ask everyone. I've never asked you these questions, so I'm very curious to hear your answer. What or who is bringing out the best of you right now? Oh, I would say right now you are. Oh. <laughs> I thought about this topic. It was like people that help me to live out my God-given calling. And that's definitely you, Allison. <laughs> Friends who are challenging me and loving me right now, probably Ken more than anyone, my husband. And I've got a couple of girlfriends that I walk closely with. Elizabeth, you know her. Mm-hmm. My friend Lauren here, and she supports me in my ministry as well. And then do they have to be alive? Because there's so many authors from the past that I read a lot. <laughs> That really speak to me. I think books just really get my mind just active. And I just get so inspired by people like Dallas Willard. I'm reading his book, Hearing God, right now. And just a few pages of that book. I'm just so excited about listening to God's voice. Friends, family, wonderful books get me in the writing zone. And then God's word. When you said, you know, what really brings out the best in you? Spending time in scripture, it really builds me up. I love that. What needs and desires are you working to protect Really time with God, time with family and friends, time to work and write, time to exercise and cook healthy food. And of course, time to open the mail. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's always good. <laughs> Until someday it goes away, which it might. I think less and less. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Kim, it's so fun to be with you and have some of these conversations again. I'm so grateful for you and for the work that you're doing and putting into the world. And I so appreciate your coming here today to share with us about your life and about these topics. Just grateful for you. Thank you so much for your friendship, Allison. Just ever since I first met you in Boston, since Jeff set us up for that tea that we had. (laughs) It's just been such a just life-giving friendship. And thank you for who you are and all that you're doing and just the incredible impact you're having on so many lives. It's a beautiful thing to see. Thanks, Kim. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Best of You. Be sure to check out the show notes for any resources and links mentioned in the show. You can find those on my website at drallisoncook.com. That's Allison with one L, cook.com. Before you forget, I hope you'll follow the show now so that you don't miss an episode. And I'd love it if you'd go ahead and leave a review. It helps so much to get the word out. I look forward to seeing you back here next Thursday. And remember, as you become the best of who you are, you honor God, you heal others, and you stay true to your God-given self.